Good afternoon and welcome to a, another edition of the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast with myself, Dr. Andy Matheson. Going to be running through a couple of really interesting articles today and then just looking back at a couple of subjects that uh, have come up based on uh, some questions I had from some colleagues and from some patients. So uh, the first one is called Artificial Sweeteners and Risk of Cardiovascular Disease. And it was in this uh, week's BMJ. And again, it's just adding to the weight of evidence that we now have about artificial sweeteners. There was a Women's Health uh, Initiative, that large nurses cohort, that really kind of paints a pretty vivid picture that sweeteners are associated with increased stroke and cardiovascular disease. And the science behind it since then has been expanding. We know the impact on the microbiome. We now know they're pretty pro-inflammatory. So uh, not too surprising to start seeing more and more data coming out. And this was a sort of big, it's the Nutrinet Sante cohort. It's of 100,000 French participants. And it's a, a pretty reasonable cohort. It's um, dietary recall for two weeks every six months and been going on since 2009. And that they showed that there was a significant increase in uh, cardiovascular events and also cardiovascular events, in particular with sort of artificial sweeteners and aspartame, and they named a few. And the, the thing I liked about this study a lot was that the recall was based on brand names, which I think is probably going to be far more accurate for most people that don't pay that much attention to, to their intake. So I think it was probably, it's a good cohort covered for a long time with a really pretty thorough dietary recall, well thought through with the brand name stuff. So it's, um, it's adding to this thing where I think every time I'm suggesting uh, nutrition supplements to athletes or people I talk to, I'm now trying quite hard to steer them towards ones without sweeteners. And it is a nightmare. And at some point, uh, it's going to sort of the something's going to catch on and someone's going to start to develop a no sweetener and this is going to become more accepted. But at the moment, it's just that gradual build up of evidence. So definitely continues to reinforce the changes I've started making in my practice. Uh, the next one was another um, uh, cohort study, uh, and this one was the Biobank study, which um, is that UK study, 500,000 patients. We've sort of talked about it a few times in the past. I uh, started in sort of 2006, 7 to 10, sort of 10, 11 year follow up. And this was about tea, and it was in the annuals of internal medicine. And it was high tea intake, so more than two cups a day, which I think, to be honest, most people in the UK, certainly in Yorkshire where I live, would call moderate tea intake. I think more than six cups would, would, would start to scratch the surface of high. Uh, so moderate tea intake uh, was associated with a lower all-cause mortality of cardiovascular disease, ischemic heart disease and stroke. And with cups of tea, again, it's, I think obviously you can't be sure about two, but it's, it's certainly something that they're then taking. Um, they did a nice thing looking at the caffeine genetics and it was independent of that. So it's presumably separate from the caffeine thing. And then it's back to well, what causes that, a bit like the coffee studies that we see. 
Um, and is there is there an upper limit? I imagine there probably is. Um, and a little sh- a shame that they didn't really start to break into the sort of higher tea drinking things. And, and I see well, who, who admits or who really recalls accurately the higher cups of tea. Um, so interesting, uh, re- reassuring about if, if people are asking um, with this the understanding that caffeine or co- coffee is linked, such as we talked with last time, coffee is linked with reduced mortality. Should I switch from tea? And I think you can be pretty confident saying whatever you're comfy with, there's good evidence for tea as well. So again, a, probably a practice changing thing for me. Moving on to the next one, this was um, looking at a long COVID study. So this was digging back um, on something which uh, we touched on, it must have been three or four months ago, this idea that why after COVID does the VO2 not come back to normal? And not particularly a nutrition topic this, but just very much at the forefront of what we're doing. And, and if we've got people who are struggling uh, at the time, I felt that even even if it's been a while since you had COVID, even if it was a mild COVID, the, the previous studies have said six months after a mild infection, you might still not have the, your VO2 back, and quite commonly not. But it wasn't a pulmonary cause. And the first one I was, so a second paper, I'll go backwards here, I looked at today, was in, it was actually just a letter in the European Respiratory Journal called Exercise Capacity Impairment After COVID-19 Pneumonia is Mainly Caused by Deconditioning. And although that's a very strong title, I actually don't feel that's what the letter showed. It was a nice, really nice summary of some of the studies to date. And I think what they showed was that it's, it's not necessarily lung problems causing it. They then led to deconditioning, but actually I think what they've proved is just that, and what they've summarised very nicely, that it's not a lung problem causing this drop in VO2. Um, what is it then? And that was the, the, the study that I saw that kind of got me looking back at that one was this, it was in Nature, um, scientific report in Nature, aerobic, aerobic capacity of professional soccer players before and after COVID-19 infection, Parper and Michelades. And they did a nice look. It was only sort of 60 days and they, their focus was dropped VO2, uh, even with mild and moderate infections, dropped velocity at that VO2 and dropped running time. And there, what, what was interesting about them is they were saying very clearly that this, this isn't lung, but it's probably also not deconditioning because they have good data on deconditioning that football players, professional football players, will get after what was essentially a two-week break. And it does not look like this. And they also know that the lungs had improved, so it wasn't the lungs. So we're left with this this gap in our understanding of what happens post-COVID, even mild COVID, that stops your VO2 and your fitness returning for often up to six months and how do we do we kind of reassure patients about what's happened and what, how it's going to improve uh, so will this change my practice yeah I think again it will make me more confident saying to people that it's not the lungs it's not your fitness um, but something is going on and that mild COVID infection you ignored two months ago actually probably is the reason you're struggling right now uh, and so in all the patients I see um, with that sort of tiredness and poor poor kind of uh, training uh, once I've done all my other kind of causes I'm now adding in a how long since your last COVID infection discussion 
So, uh, moving on, the next article was uh, it was a look back. This was a discussion with a colleague about uh, LFT, liver test changes in reds, and cholesterol changes in reds. And they pointed out a, a study, I, hadn't, I think I'd read before, but it was a long time ago and I didn't recall it, energy availability in the female athlete tried in elite endurance athletes in the Scandinavian Journal of Medicine, Science and Sport, which just summarizes some changes, including a, a, a rise in cholesterol. And they were saying, is that just normal with reds? So cholesterol is always tricky. And, and anyone that works with eating disorders in anorexia is very aware that there are these triglyceride changes and, and uh, fat uh, so I use cholesterol, but uh, that's not what I mean. I mean, I mean changes in your uh, the fat profile, the lipid profile, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, the standard kind of NHS simple lipid profile. Nothing too exciting, and, and not certainly not just cholesterol. Although I can't break the habit of, uh, of just focusing on that, in, in, and that's a, a slip I need to be working on, isn't it? Um, so. I looked back, it was interesting, looking back at that and saying, well, actually, could the changes that they had in that study not be due to REDS or female athlete tried, as they called it then, but could it be to, due to actually eating disorders as part of the cause of REDS and be a confounder in their study? And I couldn't really, they didn't really manage to answer that. And I've not found anything since then, although I'm going to keep looking, that did answer that. Is it, do you get it with REDS or is it just part of the eating disorder problem? that may be linked to REDS. And again, that, that difficulty of how do we diagnose REDS, and we use eating disorder questionnaires, and it's, uh, it's, it's very, very tricky to, to sort of squeeze in between, and, and maybe we don't need to. Maybe we could overthink this, and, and just identifying it um, is the main thing. The uh, next one was, uh, we've obviously had this, Lot ongoing kind of thoughts and discussions about how high end training is bad for you, and, and this kind of slips into that that uh, that theme. This was called it was it was a, a slightly older one from twenty twenty one in Cell Metabolism called Excessive Exercise Training Causes Mitochondrial Function Impairment and Decreases Glucose Tolerance in Healthy Volunteers. And I was looking at this uh, because of another paper which I'll come to in a second. But this just talks about the impact on mitochondrial function of high, sort of excessive training. Um, and what I liked about this, and it's a good read and, and really nice, but it just corrects me on what I, I sometimes have a habit of just saying, well, these, these glucose regulation and diabetes problems in people who have done very high-end sports are just because we've filled them with carbs. Let's blame the high carbs. Let's blame the nutritionists who forced on the high carbs. Let's blame Gatorade. Let's blame Lucasade. But clearly, that's always going to be an oversimplification. There is something else going on here. And any doctor or sort of a clinician that works with high-end athletes, no, they just get weird illnesses and weird problems. And this touches on maybe a bit of the underlying reason of that, because there is this mitochondrial dysfunction. And this just talks about where that creeps in and why it might happen. Uh, mostly looking at uh, sort of hit training and other things, but definitely recommend it as a uh, it, it, just to be able to start to direct anyone who, who asks about this into 
What's causing this? Well, we don't know, but it's almost certainly due to do with your mitochondria, those funny little aliens that live in your cells. Um, and, and the reason I was really looking at it was it was following on from that um, uh, paper we discussed last week looking at neurodegeneration and type 3 diabetes. And this was, again, from 2021. It was called The Muscle Brain Axis in Neurodegenerative Disease, the Key Role of Mitochondria in Exercise-Induced Neuroprotection. Last Officer Zeno in the International Journal of Molecular Science. And this uh, was looking at the positive effects of exercise on mitochondria and the diff way different types of exercise can have a positive effect and how this is probably linked to protection against uh, neurodegenerative diseases and that might be one of these areas where we see improved mortality and morbidity outside just the obesity and weight loss when you do uh, sort of medium levels of training but then it changes when it gets excessive. So interesting stuff and, and useful just, I think, for, to be able to start to explain to people who say, who question this overtraining, excessive training, especially as they get a little bit older and why, unfortunately, you can't just keep going at, at high-end levels uh, forevermore and in, in why, why your body is, is, is under a certain burden. So uh, I think some really nice articles this week. Uh, I really enjoyed reading through them. Hope you're having a great week uh, and I will chat to you soon. Goodbye.